It is great to be back here today to welcome you all into the Lenten season. And um, just to say uh, briefly, uh, we have missed um, being here and seeing you all um, on Sundays. We've, we're thoroughly um, excited about where God is leading us with this church plant, but at the same time, it, um, it, it's hard because we miss our friends and family here at St. Paul. So um, I'm really glad to be back with you this morning. Things are going well. Plans are coming along slowly, and we certainly c- continue to covet um, your prayers and encouragement. So thank you all for, um, for everything that you've done to, to, to send us out and to equip us in this church planting venture. I want us to take a look this morning at our gospel reading, sort of, it's the classic uh, traditional reading to kick off Lent, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, and um, I'd love for you to follow along. We're in Luke chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 to 13, and we're going to see how Jesus is tempted by Satan and how it is pointing us to his um, death and resurrection and the hope that we have in that. So let's, um, let's open up your Bibles, Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. We're going to go through this temptation by temptation. Um, but first, just a little bit uh, to set the stage, get us some context in Luke's gospel. What is happening? What is, what is going on? Well, chapters 3 and, and this part of chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4, and in many ways you might say they're, they're, they're giving us Jesus' credentials for ministry, His public ministry will begin right after this passage when he returns to his hometown in Nazareth. And this is is Luke's way of giving us his credentials. Who is Jesus? What right and authority does he have to to make the teachings he teaches and the miracles he performs? What are his credentials? And so it begins with his baptism, right? John the Baptist, he's out in the wilderness. Jesus is baptized there by John. And and do you remember what happens? The heavens part, right? And the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove. And God says, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. You are my beloved son. That's credential number one at Jesus' baptism. Second set of credentials you can find in the genealogy. Who is Jesus's, what is his ancestry? Who, what line is he in? And so Luke traces Jesus's ancestry and he goes through David, right? Jesus is the son of David. He's the Messiah, but, but he brings it even further back through Abraham and then all the way back to creation. Look there in verse 38. It says, Jesus, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. All the way back to Adam, the very first man, we now have arrived at Jesus. And then finally, today, this is a a credential of faithfulness, as you will, a credential about Jesus' faithfulness. He is faithful to God in the face of great temptation. And what we're going to realize as we look through these temptations is that Jesus is the true Son of God. Jesus is the faithful Israel. And Jesus faithfully obeys where everyone else fails. He faithfully obeys where everyone else fails. So so we have in Jesus the true Son of God and the faithful Israel who obeys when no one else can. We're going to see that that is very, very good news for us. 
So let's dive in. Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. We're going to look at the first two verses just to, to set the scene. What is going on? Well, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. So, a couple things to observe here that, that are pretty important for the rest of the text. One, Jesus is full of the Spirit, and he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's led by God into the wilderness. There's divine purpose and divine sovereignty in this encounter. Jesus has been led out there by God himself. In many ways, these 40 days are a time of preparation for Jesus, preparation for his ministry. And the way God chooses to prepare Jesus is by sending him out into the wilderness so that he can um, have a time of fasting and prayer and refinement. And so he's out in the wilderness. And he's out in the wilderness for how long? Second thing to observe here, he's out there for 40 days. This is a symbolic number, right? 40 days. It reminds us of the 40 years that Israel, the nation of Israel, was wandering in the wilderness before they entered the promised land. Jesus here is is reenacting that. He's embodying Israel in his own body by going out into the wilderness for 40 days. And there, the other thing to observe is he's continuously Tempted by Satan. Just as the nation of Israel was tempted in the wilderness, so is Jesus. And it's not just these three times at the end. This is what Luke highlights. We're not sure where they occur. It seems like they're happening to the end of his time there. But, but, but there in verse 2, it says, For 40 days he is being tempted by the devil. This is an ongoing thing. He's being tempted. And then finally... This is just one of these little details I love when the gospel writers give us that remind us that Jesus was truly man. He was hungry. He'd been in the wilderness for 40 days. He hadn't eaten anything. He was hungry. Now just think for a second to a time when you were really hungry. How did you function? How would you have handled temptation? I have a tendency to develop um, what, what people say, um, you've probably heard it before. Um, you're not just hungry, you're, you're hangry, right? Have you all heard of that before? You're hangry, or you're hungry and you're angry at the same time. That's, that happens to some of us when we get too hungry. I don't function well. I'd say probably some of my most grievous sins might have occurred at a time when I was hungry. And so Jesus is very vulnerable here. And so this is a God-appointed time of trial and refining Jesus is embodying the wilderness wanderings of Israel, and Satan is meeting him at an incredibly vulnerable time. So what does Satan do? Well, let's read the first temptation. This this is a temptation of identity. Look at verses 3 and 4. The devil said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Now, at first glance, this, this, this is a temptation about Jesus being hungry, about, about satisfying himself materially. And, and that's true. That what, is what's happening here on one hand. Um, Jesus is hungry. And the amazing thing that we know is 
he can turn that rock into bread, right? If he can turn water into wine at the wedding of Cana, he can turn the rock into bread. But if we look even more closely, we realize that this is a passage not so much about being hungry, but about Jesus' very identity. You know, if you were fasting during Lent and you slip up, or if you, if you were fasting and you think, I, just, I can't do it today, I need a bite to eat, God's not going to smite you. It's not a sin. But this is challenging and tempting to Jesus, not because he's hungry, but because it's a sin about his identity, who he is. What does Satan say? He says, if, sowing that seed of doubt, right? If you are the Son of God, get yourself some food. If you are who God said you were at your baptism, if you are who your ancestry says you are, then why on earth are you in this wilderness suffering? If you're the Son of God, why are you sitting out here hungry? If you're the Son of God, why did God lead you out into this God-forsaken wilderness to make you famished? If you are who God said you are, get yourself some food. It's a temptation of identity. Because if Jesus is the Son of God, he has to realize that 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 means being submitted to God the Father and and obeying him. That's what we've talked about. He's he's obeying. and, And Satan is saying, well, no, if you're really that great, just do your own thing. Go your own way. And ultimately, what we see in all of these temptations is actually a temptation to avoid suffering. A temptation to avoid the hard road. If you're God's son, take the easy way out. Get some food. That's the temptation there. Jesus would be tempted like this again, right? Do you, do you remember later on in his life, almost at the very end of it? If you are the son of God, then What? Come down off of the cross. It's a temptation to avoid suffering by rejecting who you really are. Satan's Satan's twisting it. God's son wouldn't be subjected to these things. Go your own route. But but Jesus knows, he knows that this is is a mission of obedience and submission. It's a mission of, of suffering. And so he responds, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. This is not about my being hungry. It's not about by being materially sustained by food. It's about being sustained by the very word of God. And the word of God calls for obedience and faithfulness. And so Satan fails in temptation number one, a temptation of identity. Second temptation is a temptation to prosperity. Look at verses five to eight. The devil took Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If then you will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. 
So Satan has shown Jesus all of the world's great empires. And in a moment of time, Jesus has a vision of this tremendous grandeur. And he promises, these could all be yours, Jesus. All the power, all the glory, all the fame, all the riches, I'm handing them to you. All I ask is that you worship me. It's a temptation to prosperity, to exchange prosperity for false worship. And again, it's an invitation to bypass suffering, isn't it? Jesus knows that the path to glory is the way of the cross. He knows that there is no Easter Sunday resurrection celebration without the death and mourning and suffering of Good Friday. The way to glory in God's kingdom is the way of the cross. And Jesus knows that. And yet here Satan is tempting him. It's like, look, get out of this. You don't have to do that. I'll give you all the glory and power you could imagine. All you have to do is worship me. That's it. No more wilderness, no more cross, no more suffering. Just worship me. It's that simple. Jesus responds, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus knows that all the power, all the prosperity, all the fame, all the wealth that Satan could put before him will not give him life. It is not life-giving. Aren't so many of our idols just like this? The false gods in our lives, the promises of success or power or wealth or fame. They can't deliver us life. Now we may find ourselves successful by all means. But if that becomes our ultimate thing and our ultimate desire, if we turn to it to give us life, we will end up worshiping it. And it will fail every time. It will fail. It, it might not fail in the short run. It actually might work. Okay, you might experience great success or great wealth or power. But at the end of the day, it will take your soul. And Jesus knows that. He says, I will worship God alone and serve him. And so Satan fails. Was temptation number two, a temptation to prosperity. The final temptation is a temptation to, um, what I would say, a temptation to security. Look at verses 9 to 12. Satan took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, you can hear that phrase again, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So here we have Satan inviting Jesus to test God, put God to the test. He's effectively saying, Look, God wants you to walk this route of pain and suffering. He wants you to take up your cross. Make him prove it then that you are his son. If, if he wants you to do this, make him show you that what he said is true. Put him to the test. Don't step into this way of suffering that you're called to. Don't step into this without knowing, without being secure that God is who he says he is and you are who God said you are. 
He's looking for security. Satan's tempting him to security. Now Jesus' response is this. Don't test God. Don't test him. He, he, he's using the word of God all throughout this passage. He, he has that. God is, has been revealed to, to Israel for centuries that he is the one true God. Jesus knows that. He doesn't need to ask God for a sign. He doesn't need to ask God to prove it. Because Jesus knows it and he trusts God and he trusts his calling and he knows not to test God. I think this is, is a big sin for us, a big temptation at least, this temptation to security. Too often I feel like we're, we're paralyzed by our insecurity. We want to know, right? We ask the question, is God calling me to do this? Am I, am I supposed to do this? And, and we want to know before we step into it. Send me an email, God. Send me a text. Call me on the phone. Tell me what to do so I can know, I can know that, that you'll really see me through it. Sometimes, right, we, we say, God, if, if you really want me to do this, then give me a sign, Right? You know, if you want me to do this, make this supernatural thing happen in the next five minutes, and then I'll, I'll do whatever you say. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. There's two things here, I think, that are, that are challenging to us. We want security because sometimes trusting God is dangerous. It is dangerous. It can be physically dangerous on one hand, right? God be, God could be calling you or asking you to serve in a place that is a danger to yourself physically. It could be overseas. It could be locally. It could be calling you to do something that, that affects you and your physical security, and, and we're scared of it. But even more often, and perhaps even more challenging sometimes, it's emotionally dangerous to serve God. God calls us to be radical forgivers of other people. God calls us to, to, to step into areas emotionally and spiritually that, that can be very challenging. God um, calls us to be reconcilers where there is division. And that can be an emotionally dangerous place to be. Can I really forgive my estranged family member? Can I really forgive this person or am I going to get hurt again? Can I really be an agent of reconciliation? These are dangerous places to be. We want security. We want to test God. We want God to just lay it out there. And, and, and Jesus is saying, no, you, you can't test the Lord. We must trust him. We must trust him. So there, third temptation, a temptation to security. Satan fails. So what are we going to do about this? Well, really quickly, I want us to a word about temptation and sin, and then we want to see um, what, this, what this means for us. Um, the way Satan tempts us is, is, is like catching a fish in many ways. He's going to put something enticing on the hook, right? You can't put a piece of broccoli on a fish hook and expect to catch a fish, or a person for that matter. <laughs> And so Satan's going to put something out there that is good. By all appearances, it's good and it's fun. And, and sometimes you'll, a preacher will get up here and say, you shouldn't sin because it's not really that fun anyway. I don't know. It's, it can be kind of fun. It's satisfying. 
It's not ultimately satisfying. It is the way of death. Let's be clear about this. But in the meantime, Satan's not going to tempt us with things we're not going to enjoy. We've got to realize that. That's the first thing, okay? Expect the temptation in your life to be something you want to do. Because if Satan was tempting us with things we didn't want to do, it wouldn't be that hard to avoid. But the second thing is this. As we walk with Christ... Things that used to tempt us and things that we used to want to do, they don't tempt us anymore. Certainly new things continue to come up time and time again, but, but, but there can come a point where we're walking with Christ and Satan's got to be more subtle. He can't put obviously bad things before us and expect us to take the bait. And so he's going to be more subtle. And what he's going to do is take good things He's going to put them in front of us and say, look, just have this good thing. And we'll have this good thing, sometimes at the expense of our relationship with God or the expense of our relationship with those closest to us or our our church family. We'll we'll take this good thing and, and Satan will just reel it in just a little bit. And Satan will say, here's another good thing. And then one day we wake up and we realize that we've put all our faith and all our trust in these good things that we have made ultimate things. We've raised them above God. And we realize we are far, far from Christ. And not because we've been following these egregious sins and temptations, but because we've been chasing after things we thought were good. That are good things, but we've made them ultimate things. And we're separated from God. So what then is the good news? Because if you're like me, this resonates with you. I mean, the temptation is is everywhere. And it's so easy to succumb to it. What is the good news here? Well, the good news isn't, look, all you got to do is be like Jesus, right? Go memorize Deuteronomy, be like Jesus. Whenever, Whenever Satan tempts you, just quote him scripture and move on. It doesn't work like that. Now, memorizing scripture is helpful embodying and and, and, and ingesting the word of God in a powerful way. These are good things, but but you're going to be tempted and you're going to fail. You're going to fail. Some of you are going to fail right after you leave here. Some of you are failing right now. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ did not fail. He did not fail. The author of Hebrews says, Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. Think about your biggest temptation, your, your most brutal sin. Think about the thing that, that every time it gets you, it's so hard to resist. Jesus was tempted in that way. He was tempted that powerfully. He was offered bread when he hadn't eaten anything for 40 days. Jesus was tempted in every way we are. And the rest of that verse goes like this. Yet he did not sin. He did not sin. He did not succumb. He perfectly obeyed God. And so when we read this passage, what we're supposed to see is Jesus is succeeding where Adam failed, where Eve failed. Jesus is succeeding where Israel failed. Jesus is succeeding where you and I fail every single day. He is the true Adam that did not disobey God. He is the true Israel that did not grumble in the wilderness. And because of that, only he has the power to save. He is the true man who did not sin and yet took the penalty for sin 
that us sinful men and women could live forever. He is the true man who died on the cross. He knew the way to victory was through the cross and death. And he willingly went there so that we might have eternal life. May that always be at the front of our minds during Lent. Whatever disciplines you've taken on or whatever fasting you might be doing during the Lenten season, these, these are good things in as much as they remind you that you're not Jesus and that Jesus has saved you through his death and resurrection. As we journey towards Good Friday and then the celebration of Easter Sunday, may we be reminded of how great of sinners we are and how great a Savior we have. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that in your Son, Jesus, we have new and eternal life. We thank you, Lord, that he is tempted in every way that we were and yet did not sin. And that through his obedience, he could offer himself on our behalf. That we might have life everlasting through his death and resurrection. May we be drawn to that this Lenten season and always.